Let me, uh, let me throw a question out for you to discuss with someone nearby, right? When, um, when was a time when you just felt like time stood still? What was an experience where you felt like time stood still? And I want you to turn to your, to your neighbors and uh, talk about that. Think about a time, uh, just some type of an experience where you felt like time stood still. Now, this, this could be something really awesome, amazing, or it could be the opposite of that. But go ahead and discuss with your neighbor, all right? Uh, a moment for you when time stood still. What were some of the answers that you gave for that? Oh, yeah. Adopting, and then that moment of receiving your daughter. Wow. Powerful, yeah. So how, how old was she when, when you, 10 months when you first received her? Yeah. I got to be there for one of my brother and sister-in-law's uh, adoptions, the, the gotcha day. And it, yeah, it was, it was very special. Forever day, got yeah, I like it, cool. I can see how time kind of stands still in that, yep. When I got knocked out and lost my memory for a while. All right, got knocked out and lost your memory for a while. So time, time really did stand still in some ways <laughs> for, for you, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Barry. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a that's a good good. Yeah. Yeah. For for those of you on Zoom, Barry was talking about nine eleven and how, for him and and the whole world, time seemed to stand still. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Both of those something that you're excited about, and also could be something that you're dreading. Um, yeah. Uh, this example that we're going to look at here in Isaiah chapter six, I'm I'm thinking this is one of those times in Isaiah's life where time stood still. I mean, this was a very uh, big monumental experience for him that we're going to look at. And uh, we are in, I've talked about this before, there's kind of the Christian calendar year um, that begins with Advent and begins to cycle through some of the um, different times of the life of Christ as well as just significant moments that are highlighted in Scripture. Right now we are in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is, is one day on the calendar, but it's also a season at uh, the first recognition of epiphany in the, in the scriptures is uh, when the magi went, followed the star, and um, I don't know what it was like, but maybe, maybe there was a handing over of the Messiah, the child, into their arms in that moment. Um, but it also includes things like uh, the transfiguration and when Jesus was baptized, moments where um, God made his presence known, these epiphanies. And this passage and the one from last week with Jeremiah are included in these. Um, and it's just a reminder for us that sometimes God just breaks through in a really powerful way. Um, when I was in high school, 
uh, my room was in the basement, and the ceiling was, was pretty low. And so because it was so low, I took the cover off of the light because I kept bumping my head on the, on the cover of the light. Um, so it just left the bare bulbs, which this was before bare bulbs were kind of a cool looking, you know, this was, this was not in style at the time. One day in the morning, getting ready, I put my arm through the sleeve and punched out one of the bulbs on accident. And, uh, and so for the next several weeks, I just had that, you know, when you turn a light on and not all the bulbs are burning, it just kind of irks you, just that, that little bit, you know? Well, it didn't irk me enough to actually do something about it, partly because I didn't know what to do about it. I, I knew not to, you know, <laughs> stick my hand in there to try and figure out how to take a broken bulb out of the socket. But um, uh, my dad, at one point, unbeknownst to me, um, went, turned the electricity off, used a pair of pliers, took the old one out, put a new one in, and I flipped the light on, not knowing he had done that, and it was almost like, oh my. And it was like, I, I, I didn't realize how a, accustomed to the dim lighting I had become. And I, I wonder if, for us, if we have those times, those seasons of our life where we think things are going okay even, and it's like a light comes on and we realize, wow, we have lived, we've been living in a darkness that we were unaware of. There, there was more for us. And we have these moments where, um, whether you want to call it time stand still or that epiphany or that, that realization that there, there is more to life than what I have been living. The light came on for Isaiah in this passage. And that's uh, in chapter 6. Uh, do we have these for the screens? Is that right? Maybe? Yeah? Oh, well, look at that. All right. So you can follow along. In the year that King Uzziah died, which was around 740-ish B.C., I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So these, these burning ones, which is kind of a literal translation of seraphim, these winged creatures on fire, ablaze, saying, Holy, holy, holy. And when we see... Uh, three used in scripture it's oftentimes pointing to um, how something is complete it's not just superlative and the greatest it's it's also it's it's whole and complete and so these these winged creatures are giving praise holy 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 at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke and this is where i'm sure if a movie were to be made about this, this encounter itself would be a lot of fun to film, a lot of fun to think about creatively. But I just want to remind us that though this is oftentimes titled, subtitled in your Bible, The Call of Isaiah, um, this story, like every story in the Bible, is really about God. And so as we think about this story, don't get lost in this experience as much as uh, maybe a good reflection question, not just on this passage, but really as you read your, your Bible on your own, is 
what does this tell me about God? What is this teaching me, showing me about God? Isaiah continues in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah declares in the presence of God's holiness, um, he says, Woe is me. This is kind of a, it's, it's a, a cry of despair and grief. And another way of thinking about um, uh, I am ruined is it literally means uh, coming undone, like an unraveling, like coming apart at the seams. So if you've ever had, to, if you've ever said, uh, use the phrase, I just feel like I'm falling apart. Life is falling apart. It's, this is what he is encountering in that, in that moment, Isaiah is. Um, when we think about something that's integrated, we think of all the pieces that have come together. And when something is disintegrated, all of the pieces have fallen apart. And what Isaiah is basically describing for us is he, he just realized he, he's coming apart at the seams. His life is not that cohesive whole. It lacks integrity. Integrated versus disintegrated. Integrity is, is that where everything is kind of, it, it comes together and it fits together. What's on the outside matches what's on the inside. What is said matches what is really believed. What is done matches what is really believed. So Isaiah is saying, um, woe is me. I'm realizing the wheels are coming off here. There are some things in my life that, that need some attention. And he's also realizing that there is only one person who has it all together, and that is God himself. God lives and acts and with perfect integrity, with, with perfect wholeness. And so Isaiah is, is looking at himself, and he's looking at God. I think it's really important just to remind ourselves he's not looking at himself in comparison to the people around him, although he certainly was grieving because he lived among people that were also struggling, just as he was. Um, but he, he looked at himself, he looked at God, and he looked back at himself. And um, was it the last song we were singing? Um, one of the, you look at me with love. Um, is that, I'm trying to think of how the, that. Yeah show you the depth of my heart, and you love me the same. And it's, it's kind of with that picture, I think that Isaiah was able to say, I'm, I'm undone. Uh, my life is coming apart at the seams, but he's looking at the one who has everything all together and who can put everything back together, who wants to put everything back together. Um, so it's, he's not... Um, Again, it's not a comparison with anyone. He's just recognizing in the presence of this pure, holy, holy, holy God. And this God who is integrity, he realizes the ways that his own life has disintegrated in certain ways. Um, 
something interesting kind of happens. The, 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 when we think of the word, we, when you hear the word holy, what, what comes to mind, whether it's a definition or a description? What, talk to me about holy. So it's probably something that you don't talk a whole lot about outside of church, is my guess. <laughs> What's that? Holy, you think of super hot fire. Oh, tell me more about that. Ah. Okay, so there has to be real substance for it to survive the fire. I like that. Say it again. Pure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pure gold. Yep. Yeah. And then in that case, yeah, the fire would be used to in the in the purification process. What else? Favorite? Sacred. Sacred. Thank you. All right. Yes. Holy cow. What is it? Holy cow. Holy cow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Which could be a cow. It could be. Yes. Yeah. Some religions, uh, you know. Yeah. A place, okay, I'm not going to be able to relay this to Zoom very effectively, but a place where Jimi Hendrix played, and there was a, a burn mark that is now um, enshrined and, and set apart as holy. Um, it, when something is consecrated, it, that's kind of the verb form of holiness. When something is consecrated, it, it does involve this purification. It involves being set apart uh, for a sacred purpose. And so in this scene, what we see is a holy God um, in the process of consecrating, um, setting aside his servant Isaiah for a special work. And we do see even elements of fire with that um, as the uh, burning winged creatures take a coal from the fire and they touch his lips and um, this purification is taking place. So um, with that, just maybe one small point is the coal touching his lips, it, it forever changed the way that he would talk. And I don't mean all of a sudden he had this really cool King James accent or <laughs> British accent or something like that. Um, and I don't even mean that he, he changed the way he talked from cussing like a sailor to now he doesn't use any bad words. It was like he could no longer just talk about normal everyday things. He realized that there was something that he was set apart to live in and to share with others. Um, Ronald Roll. Rollheiser um, has a book called The Holy Longing, and he says, um, to consecrate means to derail from normalcy. I thought that was a pretty accurate description. So he's like, no longer can he just sit around and talk about the weather and sports. There is something in him, burning in him, that he must um, be about. 
Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So in this we see that Isaiah didn't begin with here am I, send me. His first words were kind of a response to being in the presence of a holy God, acknowledging his undoneness, um, how his life was not as integrated, he was not living with the integrity of this holy God. Um, he's kind of saying in other translations, it also says that he, he was lost. And so I think it's, I find it really interesting, these two phrases, when basically he is saying, I'm lost, and the next thing he says is, here I am. And it's a beautiful transition that's, that's taken place. And it's not a small thing to go uh, from lost to knowing where you are. In fact, if you're going to find your way somewhere, it begins with knowing exactly where you are. For those of you going to Fort Cronkite Park and going to meet us down there, um, you'll get directions to there, but it will also be directions from wherever you are at the time. Getting directions to there from downtown San Francisco might not help you as much if you're leaving from this building here. And so Isaiah has this time where um, he is able to say, here I am. So we're, um, for those of you that go on this hike, um, there is a labyrinth that we will hike up Two, how many of you have walked a labyrinth before? Yeah. I, I feel like in Marin, I should say, how many of you have mountain biked a labyrinth or something like that? Like there's, you know, there's like, we don't just walk them. We, you know. Um, so a, a labyrinth is, is not a maze. It is one single path that winds its way to the center. And then you take that same path, that only path, back out. And there are several ways to walk a labyrinth and um, for you to, to reflect as, as you do. It is intended to um, kind of be another way of thinking about a spiritual pilgrimage without having to, to walk miles and miles and miles. But it's a way to kind of journey, and this is kind of how the journey goes, at least most of the times that I've walked a labyrinth. Um, when I begin to snake my way to the middle as I walk, what I am reflecting on is that is my journey inward. I'm kind of evaluating what, where, where have I been lately? What's, what's my life look like? Um, what has God noticed about my life that I need to, as I'm walking quietly, allow God to reveal to me about where I am right now? And then getting to the middle of that labyrinth is kind of a way for me, and for a lot of people, is just to kind of go, so this is who I am. This is where I am. Here I am. And not in a judgmental way. It's in a way that we are just allowing God to point some things out and to embrace us where we are in that. And so the labyrinth is this way, this journey inward, and then with who we are, this, this person that God loves, then we begin our journey back out, and then we are reflecting on this me that God has created, this me that God loves so much, 
is sending me back out into the world. So it's a here am I, send me. It's a beautiful picture of what I think Isaiah is, is describing for us. Before the here am I, there might be a woe is me. <laughs> there might be that recognition that, wow, I'm kind of coming undone. Uh, the seams are coming loose. And as we walk, again, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just we, we are allowing God to, um, to name things. For This is a time for us to confess to some things, but it's also a time for us to feel God's embrace. And it, we don't like, I, I wish we could just start with, here am I, send me. I would, would really prefer that. But I know for me personally that before I go, it's important for me to just reflect on really where I am right now. And oftentimes it means um, I need to hand the keys and the steering wheel over to God because somehow I've kind of taken them since the last time we were talking. It's something that's a part of my mornings. It's something that if you're using that, like that daily prayer app that some of us are using as we gather on Wednesdays, um, there's, there are opportunities for us over and over to kind of say, I've come undone, but I'm coming back to you. Here am I. This is what's going on in my world. And as much as we don't like talking about our undoneness, or to use the biblical word, sin, um, there is something that we are missing if we avoid talking about it. Um, this quote by David Benner, just is beautiful. Um, he says this, If I were sinless, the perfect image of God, I could know the God of love. But knowing myself as the sinner enables me to know something more, a God of mercy, something greater for love responds to what is good and lovable. Mercy responds to what is not good and makes it good and lovable. The gift of being myself. Isn't that beautiful? This is when we, when we get to experience the limitless mercies of God. This is his gift for us of being ourselves. So we can say, here am I, send me. It's not the me that I wish I was, it's the me that I am right now. Here am I, send me. I don't know that I've heard um, this passage taught on that went beyond this verse. Here am I, send me. There's more to this story. Um, I, it, it would end better if we're just gonna make a movie out of it uh, it would end better right there. This is a great little bow that we're putting on the end of it. This is the crescendo at the end of the movie where you go, yes, okay, now I feel good. Things are complete. Um, how many of you are familiar with um, mid-credit or closing credit scenes in a movie? Yes? No? Brenda, you're raising your, you're nodding your head. Can you describe kind of what it is? Yeah, so yeah, it, it's, a, um, it's, it's a very brief scene, so like credits have been rolling, and maybe some people have walked out of the theater, 
But some of us stood, uh, stuck around because we kind of were told, hey, there's just this little bit more. And, um, and it, a lot of times it does kind of, it may, might give you a little bit of backstory, um, but it kind of also points ahead, oh, there's, this is going to be a, there's going to be a sequel. There's going to be another movie coming out. Um, the Incredibles ended with, with one of those, I remember, just about the time you thought it was over. Then something would, uh, Marvel movies do this quite a bit. Um, if we stopped with verse 8, um, we're walking out of the theater too soon. Because what comes next, it's not comfortable, um, but it's very important to what is about to play out in Isaiah's life. Um, it goes on, verse 9. He said, God's, God has said to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. That verse 10 right there about with the calloused and the ears dull and the uh, close their eyes, as Jesus quotes that, and it's, um, you can read about that in Matthew 13. It's a reminder that Isaiah and Jesus were, were called at times to say some pretty tough things, to speak truth. Um, continuing on, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. We talked about this last week. Before a remodel takes place, what takes place in your home? <laughs> a demolition. And was it, John, were, were you the one that said you would really enjoy the demolition part of it? Somebody, somebody was like, that, that sounds like the really fun part, <laughs> staring stuff out. In a home remodel, yes. But in our own lives, and the lives of the people we love, it is such a painful thing to see. And Isaiah's task was to explain to these people there is a way that you have been living that is passing away and there is going to be a new um, foreign government that's going to take control and, and will swallow you up. And so Isaiah was beginning to call them to this, this new, deeper commitment to trust and obey God. Um, he was kind of saying, Isaiah was saying, as best as I can understand this passage, he's kind of saying, only God knows when things have to get worse before they can get better. We cannot just continue as we are. There is something difficult that has to happen to awaken us to the fact that there is more. And so he does in this final verse of chapter 6, it's a glimmer of hope. He says, And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah sees the judgment, and Isaiah sees beyond 
the judgment. After this season of judgment, there might not be a lot left, but there's going to be enough. There's going to be enough for God to work with and to bring salvation. So as we reflect um, and, and turn our thoughts to the table, um, Tom, I don't know if you want to make your way up to, um, to play. I'm going to read, a, a, go back up to another portion in chapter 6. Isaiah said, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Um, before we approach the table, will you take just a moment, um, seated where you are, if it helps you focus, you can close your eyes or kind of direct your gaze downward. Um, what is a part of your life that you need God to touch? What is a part of your life that you need the touch of God? That broken unclean part of you that needs God's touch. And as you think about that, um, this is not an exercise in communicating to God how guilty you feel or explaining how your life came to be like it is. Um, this is not a time to list all the things that you're going to do different so that that never happens again. It's just a time for you to say, I I want a loving touch from a merciful God. Forgive me. So in just a moment, when you dip the bread in the cup and you raise it to your mouth, would you let it touch your lips as you do? Let it touch your lips. The sacrifice of Christ has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I'm going to read that David Benner quote again um, in the third person this time. If you were sinless, the perfect image of God, you could know the God of love, but knowing yourself as the sinner enables you to know something more, a God of mercy, something greater. For love responds to what is good and lovable. Mercy responds to what is not good and makes it good and lovable the gift of being yourself. Father, as we come to this table, we thank you for your touch. Thank you for your mercy, your love, for your forgiveness. Thank you that you set us ablaze to purify us. And this is kind of our first step. This is our step inward. Lord, as we, as we acknowledge what is in us, and we invite you to touch those areas of our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.